This episode is brought to you by hrvcourse.com. If you're new to heart rate variability or you just want to take your use of it to the next level, there are now online courses designed to help you do exactly that. Hundreds of people from NFL coaches to doctors to athletes and health seekers are already taking advantage of the in-depth course material. It's all online, go at your own pace, and the material focuses about half on the science and mechanisms and half on the data and real-world application of HRV. The courses are also platform-independent, meaning the content applies to you no matter which HRV app or hardware you use. Continuing education credits are available as well. And last, make sure to get your 10% discount for being a listener of this podcast by using coupon code ELITEPODCAST at checkout. To take your use of HRV to the next level, head on over to hrvcourse.com. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast, where I, Jason Moore, pick the brains of experts in various fields to find the most innovative, or in many cases, tried and true, ways to tweak and boost health and performance. Today is a special episode. It was recorded live out in the field with Sarah Jameson of Movolution. And Sarah takes a very in-depth approach to integrating movement patterns and mobility into the bigger picture of your life. So we talk topics like durability, joint ranges, limitations, tissue health, uh, what to focus on first when it comes to mobility for the most effective progress, um, fascial lines, which I don't know if you've ever heard of fascia, but we dive into the, the netting that surrounds all of your muscle tissue and other areas of the body, spinal health, the importance of stress management for uh, first responders as well. She works with professional athletes, first responders, and and many other subpopulations. Um, How wearing a bra affects breath and thoracic expansion, and the real impact of not breathing well and why you're probably not breathing well. a couple more things, why your diaphragm could be giving you pain or tightness in various parts of the body, all of the interconnectedness of that, uh, recovery breathing and motor skill development for CrossFit, tactical and professional athletes, and a whole lot more. Um, and as we enter the conversation, Sarah explains a, a little about who she is and what her business is about. And again, this was recorded live in Vancouver. Occasionally a couple cars drive by outside the window, so apologies for that, but everything else is really understandable and clear. So with that, let's dive in. Movolution is basically uh, my private practice. So as we mentioned, I've kind of got these two great pillars that I get to pull resources from, and Movolution is one of them, and Onnit Academy is the other. Uh, Movolution was really founded on the practice of corrective movement. Um, it's a Vancouver-based consulting company where I get to teach clients, you know, tools of the trade for keeping them mobile, uh, keeping them healthy, um, moving well, um, and it's really kind of the the bridge between the clinical sphere and the performance sphere. So, 
I like to get, kind of call myself the transition gal because I really do transition people out of uh, injury um, or uh, chronic pain or moving inefficiencies back into whatever it is that they love to do in the world. Um, with that being said, there's also a large uh, pillar that, that works with occupational athletes and tactical athletes. And so it's really looking at undoing a lot of the com compensatory movements and restrictions and limitations that people generate throughout you know, their lifetime, their career, their sport, all of that. Um, but the, the basis is really getting people to, to move better and to feel better and to move more often. I like that. That's yeah. awesome. That's powerful. And I think when I was a coach, I would see a lot of people come into kind of an on-ramp program with me. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like that the uh, environment that I worked in was, it was focused on strength and conditioning type stuff and that these people needed something more before they were ready for really that before they started reinforcing patterns that they didn't have mm -hmm. is that they needed something sometimes they needed true like rehabilitation um, but they also needed some kind of like transition from broken to a to able before <laughs> totally. they started reinforcing a bunch of patterns right and yeah. so does that kind of fit in is that 100 percent? Okay. yeah it's um you know the the training industry in general is quite like quite large, the spectrum is quite large. Uh, so it can be really daunting to inject all these different styles of training. People love to try on new things, you know. Um, one of the things that, you know, I really try to focus on is durability, which is, you know, part of the Onnit Academy's uh, pillar and something that I've helped to co-create with them. Um, and it's really getting people to understand joint rages and major joint complexes and understanding how much range you should have uh, if they have limitations, what to do with that as well so that it's productive when they go into any type of style of training that they do. Um, and then making sure that the tissue is always remaining healthy um, so that when you do move, you move pain-free and you move with as little restriction as humanly possible. Because as we age, we basically just dehydrate, really. You know? <laughs> so when we're born into this world in water, we leave it without it. So the, the, the tissue health is something that I... Uh, really focus quite heavily on because I feel that is such a powerful impact on people's lives. That's that is that sounds very powerful. And so I was going to ask you what is durability, but that's perfect um, lead in for it. And <laughs> is this uh, in in this podcast and mm -hmm. in my background too? We look at a lot of technologies and a lot of ways of quantifying things and mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. with regards to durability or movolution or something, is there so are there some metrics that you look for? And, and heart rate variability, uh, of course, will come up. Oh, but, of course it does. But yeah. um, even let's start with some, something else. What, what kind of metrics do you look for in somebody? There's a couple, so there's a couple different ways we look at it. So the durability side of things with Onnit Academy is a certification that, that we offer. Um, so the metrics that we use in that is really experiential in the sense of we have 16 hours in a weekend for somebody to come in. Um, and, and look through the lens of looking at joint mobility, uh, tissue mobility, uh, the fascial system as well as another lens that we like to look at. Um, so there, the metrics we use in that is really understanding what are the fascial lines and you know, what's the difference between if I want to open up my thorax, what does that mean? Like how, how do I do that? And so we do that through open chain mobility and closed chain mobility. And what's the difference between those two, right? Open chain mobility is the opportunity to move a limb around without restriction, with anything fixed. Closed chain is 
you know, on the ground, having limbs fixed to the floor and using the floor as a biofeedback tool. So we want people to kind of come out with an opportunity to understand, um, you know, what, what does it feel like when I turn on my front line and how do I do that? And there's particular testing protocol that we use for that. Um, back line, spiral line, lateral line, all the lines. Same thing with the joint complexes. The testing protocol we use there is really body mapping, priming the system. So when we go through rotation, similar to what we did, you know, in our, in our five little minutes of movement, is we look at where are the pockets of tension and where's the stickiness, because that's going to be the best point of entry for someone to go in and go, okay, I obviously am sticky here. That may be something I want to focus on. So in that retrospect, people are spending a couple days with us and then having to go home with as much information, which is a bit, you know, overwhelming. Sure. Um, but uh, it's a great opportunity for them to really just experience what does it mean to move my joint around and is it restricted or is it over mobile? And if so, how do I control that range and how do I create tension using my body weight? In Moveolution, it's a little bit different because I have the opportunity to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so the point of entry or the standard operating system that I use uh, fundamentally is we look at breathing uh, and we do so through different body positions. I want to see how somebody breathes in standing because that's what they do all day long to get to, from A to B. Mm -hmm. I want to see how they breathe in seated. I want to see how they breathe uh, in quadruped, in lying down, from compressed to decompressed positions. And that allows me to also look at postural habits. Um, and that screen is something that I will continually do with my clients each session they come in. They don't even know they're really being evaluated, right? Uh, the functional movement systems is also one of the fundamental screens that I use. And so with that being said, that's the functional movement screen. Uh, and that looks at really kind of from a neural development perspective, how do we actually go from infancy and rolling around as a baby to a bipedal human and walking around the world as adult? So we look at the squat, you know, the hinge, uh, we look at the inline lunge, all these different things that the body does all to a certain extent all the time, but most often inefficiently, right? right? And that gives me an entry point to look at identifying movement inefficiencies, uh, major asymmetries from right to left or upper, lower, front, back, all of that. Uh, and it also allows us to, to predict potential risks of injury. So if somebody doesn't move well on their right side and they move really well on their left side, that's an asymmetry. And asymmetry is normal, but excessive asymmetry is not. And so my role is really to look at how those seven movement patterns roll with you know, the client, where they're deficient, where they're efficient. Um, and then the third screen that I uh, like to use is a durability screen. And it's, it's very similar to what we actually teach in the course. And that's really going, okay, we've looked at now the major movement patterns of the human structure. Now what I would like you to do is to feel what it's like to move your fascia lines so that they have a different lens that they're looking through. And <clears throat> that looks at really spinal health. So how do you flex? How do you extend? How do you rotate? How do you move your neck? How do you move your thorax? How do you move your lumbar spine? Mm -hmm. And that's like as general as I can get really, sure. without actually showing you. But yeah. um, so those three, those three screens are really the, the fundamental that every client that I work with will go through. And then it's really customized based on the person. So if I have one movement pattern that uh, is a red flag, then my job is to then basically break that out into associated screens where I can look at that a little further. So if you have trouble rotating your spine, how does that look in standing? How does that look in quadruped? How does that look in supine? You know, where are the deficiencies? Where are you successful? But also where are you feeling like you're challenged? 
Um, it will be different for uh, the you know first responder kind of tactical population. I've got specific screens that I use specifically for them in conjunction with um, you know people that run the COPAC things along those lines. Um, chronic pain patients will be a little different as well. So you've mentioned a lot of different groups in mm -hmm. in in kind of saying what you've got going on. Who do you typically run into uh, when you're when you said you have one-on-one -on -one clients? Like, what is there a broad spectrum, or do you have a specific group that you like to work with? Or uh, it's a great question. Um, it's a it's definitely a broad spectrum. You know, I've worked with uh, someone as young as 11, um, and I've worked with someone as old as 82. So most of I would say the the general population I work with is between the ages of like 40 to 65 okay. right so that particular population um, is I find very interesting because flexibility was not something that was promoted back in the day right we're still learning about how the the, the human structure moves and from a mobility perspective um, but you know a large population of that population sorry sits all day long right, right. they they Basically, we'll get in their car, they'll sit, they'll drive, they'll go to work, they sit in their desk for eight to ten hours, get back in their car, drive, come home, sit, have dinner, sit, watch the TV, go to sleep. You know, there's, and you know, they may go to the gym for an hour a day, um, but that population I find is really about unwinding uh, the problems with the invention of the chair. Really. That was like uh, it, it, you almost just described my normal routine when I when I had a corporate job. So oh yeah, uh, yeah. I and had a, a step tracker at the time, and <laughs> some days I would get less than two thousand steps in a day. So mm -hmm. it was like um, those were big red flag days for me because it was like I I basically walked to the restroom and back a few times. And oh totally, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, you know they they say now that sitting is the new smoking. And it really is. Between the two main areas that I really like to undo with those clients are the fact that uh, they wear shoes all the time and then they sit all the time. And um, from babies, we're slapped with things onto our feet, which actually change the mechanical awareness of, of our feet. So those, those two things I really like to focus on. Um, but obviously, another population is a tactical population. Uh, growing up, the two things I wanted to be was either a cop or a coach. Really, those were my two options, mm -hmm. right? And I did a little nonprofit in the middle. Um, but so, first response is, is uh, working with officers and working with people that have um, occupational needs and requirements. Do like load carry with you know the the vest and the uniform. Um, they have to sit in patrol for long periods of time. They're dealing with you know rotations, which um, unfortunately screw up a lot of their circadian rhythms and their natural sleep wake cycles. So. That's a population that I really am passionate about, um, primarily also because I'm, uh, they do so much for the community. You know, these people are, are putting their lives on their line, really, um, because if they don't do their job well, there's the potential of, you know, high threat and high risk there. Um, and as we know, guns don't kill people. Stress-related disease really does, right? Yeah. So that, that population, uh, I feel very passionate about helping. And... Um, it's a great opportunity to be able to work with them and to give back a little bit in the sense of trying to keeping them as healthy as humanly possible because when they go out and do their shift, I feel more comfortable with them, you know, securing the community. Yeah. So. And it's, it's such a, a natural fit, like we had mentioned kind of uh, when we were talking earlier. That, mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about Harvey Reliability at the time, but the movement <laughs> piece and, uh, and all of that is actually... I learned recently uh, mm -hmm. from talking at the Vancouver Police Department 
from my discussion there was that I didn't know, I didn't realize how much restrictiveness was built into the uniform and the clothing and the um, accessories that people have to carry out in the field and combining that with uh, you know, basically like where the holster is located on the leg affects the walking pattern and yep. um, and how, you know, sitting in the car with the belt uh, wrapped around the midsection and having all the accessories, you know, yep. for people who are uh, a lot larger, they can shift the accessories to the front when they sit, but people who are smaller have accessories jammed in their back the whole time they're in the car and so they're driving around trying to, you know, yeah, keep the peace, and um, they've got something jammed in their back this whole time. Pretty much, yeah. And, uh, and then they're sitting, of course, in the car for long periods of time. And so yeah. I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but really it's... No, but it's true. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, it's something that, you know, I think each of us kind of put on a uniform during the day, right? I get to change mine all the time, but a, a police officer doesn't. Like, the vests these days are much better than they used to be in the sense of um, not restricting as much thoracic ex- expansion, being able to rotate a little bit better, but uh, belts in general, like, when I work with Canadian forces versus U.S. forces, I mean, it's very different. I mean, it's, uh, I was down in Atlanta last year, and basically, like, the state trooper's belt is three inches. You know, a three-inch belt that sits around your midsection. It's a weight belt. Oh, much. yeah, man. Basically, you're walking around with a weight belt, which reduces a lot of movement and also puts a significant amount of stretch into, uh, stress into the lumbar section, your spine, if not the hips, mm-hmm. right? So these, and these are just small things that when you come on as an officer, you're not really concerned with, um, primarily because of the fact that you've never had to wear this for you know, 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 years. Right. Um, and it's such a slow progression as well where it's like, you know, when I talk to officers, they're like, well, I, I feel like I move pretty well. I'm like, yeah, you do now, but you're only five years into your job. What happens 20 years from now or 15 years from now, right? When, you know, whether you decide to stick with patrol or move into something else, even, you know, undercover work, uh, administration, paperwork is paperwork. It is the largest aspect of the job. Right. (laughs) You're going to be sitting for most of your career to a certain extent, and you need to go from zero to hero right away if you need to get out of your vehicle and run down a suspect or you know whatever whatever needs to happen you need to be able to hit that very quickly without feeling like you might pull something right they uh kelly starrett says they need to be a supple leopard right so it's oh like... yeah <laughs> big time i love that phrase he yeah. just cracks me up i love it yeah it's so good and but that sticks with people which are like yeah that makes total sense right so I, I really liked what you just said about everyone putting on a uniform each day and um, and that just resonates so much with me because I was telling you earlier I have stretchy pants on and I bought them because they, they pass for business casual Oh yeah. Uh, and I could wear them to the office but I could do a full squat in them and mm-hmm. you know and like get full range of motion and I found that they much or they restricted much less of my breathing. Um, even though I still had to wear a belt um, yeah. at work. but mm-hmm. um, So do you find that there's a relationship between the uniforms that people put on each day? <laughs> you know, we mentioned that there's a really extreme case in first responders, of course, but um, just generally, like... Oh, 100%. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, something as small as the bra for females, right? Is that, you know, we basically put that on in our younger years, and we wear it throughout the rest of our life. 
that actually reduces a lot of expansion in the thorax as well. Um, and it can shut down uh, you know, optimal breathing patterns. Um, anything that's restrictive in general will have an effect on the body, right? But the bra is fundamentally the biggest one for females. So that's a whole other topic we can get into sure, down sure. the line. But, um, but breathing is, is obviously essential to not only sustaining life, but human movement in general. Most of the time, we don't breathe well. We don't breathe as well as we could or we should, um, especially in large cities where it's the hustle and bustle of the A-type personality, where it's go, 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 you're up, you're doing, you're doing, you're going, you're going to bed, um, is that breath is such a fundamental component to influencing so many aspects internally within our systems, HRV being one of them, the parasympathetic and sympathetic responses, right? Breath is a gateway to being able to drop down that sympathetic adrenaline rush so that you don't get that adre adrenaline dump. It's all about the drip, slow and steady, mm -hmm. right? And also to be able to restore and relax and bring that balance back to its fundamental position. Um, so do you use breathing um, techniques in, in your practice? Sure do, <laughs> yep. Uh, breathing is, as I mentioned, one of the, the primary screens that I do. Right. And it's funny because it's also what I find one of the most challenging things to get people to do. They're like, well, I breathe fine. I'm like, well, you, you breathe, you breathe, you're here, you're alive. So obviously right. it's working for you. <laughs> but the bigger question is, uh, is are, are you breathing well, right? So what we do know is that um, when we shallow breathe, we don't use most of our lung capacity anyways, and most people are, are apical breathers. So they breathe through chest, they breathe all these accessory muscles. And yeah, exactly. And what ends up happening, especially for people that sit for long periods of time, um, is that it shuts the diaphragm off slightly. Like the diaphragm is one of the most important, if not the most important muscle in the body, you know, apart from the brain, I guess, or the heart, debatable. <laughs> um, and it doesn't work as efficiently as it should. There are so many fascial and tissue connections that attach both posteriorly and anteriorly to your diaphragm. When all of that tissue gets tight because we use shallow breaths or we're not focusing on long, you know, long inhales, exhales, which you can't do all the time. Um, but what happens is it, ends up, it ends up shutting, shutting down its, its reflexive nature. And from there we see small things like low back pain, right? Uh, improper hip movement. We don't get the same reciprocal movement from our arms and our legs walking around in the world. Um, chest tightens, all of these things, like the, the lists are endless. Neck dysfunctions, things along those lines. Um, so in my practice, every single client will get breathing and I work that into our open chain mobility. So we start with, you know, making sure that we're pushing the breath down into the pelvis. We're using the belly as well as the chest. And if I, uh, if, and when I work with somebody who has a significant breathing issue and it's usually really, really tight people that lack thoracic mobility, don't have optimal, uh, neck flexion, extension, rotation, things like that. Um, is we may spend, you know, 10 minutes in the beginning of our session and 10 minutes at the end working our breath. With athletes, your recovery breath is hugely important. Um, you know, a lot of times we probably got this with CrossFit as well, and I think CrossFit's great. It gets people off the couch. It's a sport. Um, there's good boxes. There's not so good boxes like anything. There's great mm -hmm. coaches and not so great coaches. Um, is if you're going all balls out, I can say that on the podcast. Sure. Um, <laughs> all the time for a long period of time, uh, you're you're building up toxins in your body. There's lactic acid. There's adrenaline. All these things. 
your body needs to be able to recover for your next round or your next set. Right. Right. So the recovery breath is also something that I focus quite heavily on if I'm working with an athletic population, especially tactical officers, because they need to understand and they need to know when to recover, how to recover so that you don't, you, you, the finite motor skills that basically start to unwind from so much, you know, adrenaline things that are pulsing through your system needs to come down very quickly in order for you to do whatever it is you're doing, especially if you're chasing somebody down. That, that just gets the wheels turning in my head because, you know, um, one of the things that some people talk about when they're talking about exerting themselves is mm-hmm. aerobic exercise versus anaerobic, right? And people yeah. kind of have this concept that when you're doing something anaerobically, which is without oxygen, of course, that you're not really relying upon the aerobic pathways at all. And that's just wrong. This is that the aerobic uh, system is always active and it's the thing that's actually helping recover. And actually you want a lot of, uh, you want as much as possible to use the aerobic system because the anaerobic system is for emergencies, uh, you know, yeah. which, which is why we train it also um, to, you know, do a snatch. Like you said, you like to do Olympic uh, lifting. So mm-hmm. in the moment, of course, you're doing very anaerobic uh, in the snatch. But between uh, one rep and two reps, yeah. you have recovery time also. So it's as short as a few seconds you're needing to take advantage of uh, the oxygen pathways and the um, breathing pathways and yeah. so I could totally see that even translating to uh, long-term performance in a single set you know as just being able to breathe and deliver oxygen to your body efficiently um, oh 100% and so all the way down to like we mentioned um, you know more of a chronic situation where we breathe how many times per day was it? I can't remember if you said but uh, <laughs> So it's over like 20,000. Yeah. It's got to be more than that. I mean, everyone's a little different. Yeah. But you have 1,440 minutes in a day. There you go. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That was what it was. Yeah. So, um, uh, but anyway, so you have all the way, you know, to where you may even hold your breath during like a maximal exertion, but yeah. then immediately as, as soon as you inhale, right after that, you need to take full advantage of breathing patterns at that point. So. Mm-hmm your ability to perform in the next set or the next even few reps could be affected by your breathing patterns all the way down to we're breathing all day every day yeah. and an accumulation of a lifetime of poor breathing patterns could just be severely taxing the system so it's it's just oh, huge it, integrated from end to end high you know peak performance in a split second mm-hmm. all the way down to just living your life and um, so that's just so interesting so fascinating I I think it's neat that breathing really ties so many things together. It kind of feels that's like why I got into heart rate variability is that it ties so many things together. But then oh, 100%. It's like, uh, you know, breathing uh, and live biofeedback, people that use heart rate variability, so it kind of actually makes sense. It does, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's one of the easiest gateways to be able to influence so many aspects internally in your body. You know, blood pressure, heart rate, pH everything that you know your body needs to be regulated for um yeah and it's it's also understanding the difference between you know especially with brought up olympic lifting is everybody else is going to have everyone has a a different recovery time that they're going to need based on so many different fundamentals um one of the things that i try to promote and you know i work with my coach and he's exceptional um is that we work breathing into our like recovery sets so 
some you do a set and you may see you know someone goes and they sit down they're waiting and they're kind of like you know texting on their phone that's not active recovery right you're basically just kind of like waiting it out until you feel like you're ready again but is that going to translate and make you make your next rep uh, efficient probably not because you've got a lot of carbon dioxide that needs to get out of your system and you need to reoxygenate everything. So there are certain protocols that I use with, with my athletes and that I use myself as an athlete to make sure that I'm recovering efficiently so that I'm saturating my body with the oxygen that it needs. It, I can you know move that lactic acid out as, as quickly as humanly possible. Um, and then obviously warm up, cool down, all those things, right? So there's, there's lots of different ways that you can screen breath and it's gonna be customized per, per person, 100%, because everyone's gonna have a different, we come from different experiences, right? Right. That makes complete sense. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, can you give me, if I ask you, is, is a handstand open or closed chain? Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> um, it's, uh, well, it would be, it would be cl well, your hands are fixed to the floor, so it would be technically closed chain. Okay. Right? Now, if you wanna start moving your legs around, Yeah you're going to have a little more open chain for that one. I just so, thought I'd like to throw that oh, yeah. in. I'll throw you for a loop a little bit. but Oh, that's um, good. But what's funny is that in the, um, uh, so one of the things we have through Onnit Academy is Onnit On Demand, okay. which is uh, online personal training four-week programs. And so through my durability channel, in the next April when that's coming out, I preface some things around closed chain, open chain with handstands as a joke. Oh, nice. Yeah, which is pretty funny. <laughs> so it's really humorous that you just bring that where I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Inversions and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So it's so like the difference um, would be. I just want to make sure that it's clear mm -hmm. uh, to everybody. Like if you're to do like an air squat unloaded, is that open or closed chain? An air squat. So you mean feet planted on the floor and feet. then squatting down? Yep. Yeah. So it can be if your feet are fixed on the floor, it can be a closed chain. Okay. Right. So for instance, uh, hang out down there, control range. That can be closed chain. Okay. Mm -hmm. Open chain is like some of the stuff we were doing with our like paint the fence, right? Right, where I don't have any barriers for my arm, my shoulder to go. The joint can can move in any direction it needs to. Um, if I'm in a quadruped position on the floor, I have four points of weight bearing, right. which now becomes I have to push into something, a fixed object, which is the floor, in order to get biofeedback of where my body needs to be positioned. Okay, so let, we'll come back to that topic yeah. in a second too, because I really find that fascinating. The floor is a biofeedback tool. Oh yeah. And um, so I'm just thinking now from from this, uh, like an air squat, for example, I mm -hmm. could see how that could be um, for the hips and and the muscles that are involved in pushing you away from the floor. Mm -hmm. It's like closed chain for those yeah. uh, parts of the body. But if you were trying to measure like. You're, if you're trying to also do like neck rotations at the same time or something, <laughs> then your head would be in an open chain pattern. Yeah. Um, because it's just free to move or whatever. Not that that, I don't know why you would do that, but well, you know, I'm you just know. saying it's not maybe things are not always just one or the other always. It's yeah. just depending on how you're applying them and depending on what part of the body you're looking at. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it is. And it's, um, you know, it's funny because it's when we think of mobility, there's really kind of two spectrums. You've got joint, you've got tissue, right? Um, and both require like similar and also different ways of mobilizing things. So, I mean, you can go down the rabbit hole, right? It's, mm -hmm. we could look at yoga being mobility, but it's also closed chain. It can also be open chain, depending on where you're standing, what posture and position you're in. So yeah, it is, it's, um, it's if we, when we teach it, we teach standing, uh, sorry, open chain mobility standing. 
so people understand the concept of like my body's pretty much free to move right, right? but my feet are always planted to the floor unless you can levitate and then I really want to know how you do that <laughs> um, it's there's always going to be some form of fixed point and then when we teach closed chain is we'll teach it from you know different positions so you know all fours quadruped we have a bridge series a squat series a scap series where you've got you're holding on to something gotcha. and you've got you know compression and brachiation and things along those lines so it really does depend on what joint you're working um, so if you're doing an air squat you're pretty much focusing on the squat pattern which then would be fixed to the floor gotcha. right yeah that makes sense yeah And that wraps part one of this discussion. In part two, we go a bit deeper into biofeedback tools, fear of the floor, self-quantification, and the relationship between heart rate variability and movement pattern development. Links to everything we've discussed can be found directly in your podcast player on the description of this episode, or head on over to EliteHRV.com podcast to find all of the notes and links over there. You can also find more information and contact Sarah Jameson directly through the Onnit Academy or Movolution.com, but also stay tuned for a deeper dive in part two, which is coming up next on the Elite HRV podcast. Sponsored by HRVCourse.com. Truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit hrvcourse.com to get access today.